The title of my, of my message this morning is The Three Marks of a Legacy. The Three Marks of a Legacy. A few years back, I had a moment to really reflect on my life before the Lord. I was preaching, I was doing all that a Christian should do, but I felt there was a place I was not yet touching. I felt there was a place I was not yet really scratching. And I began to ask God a very dear question. Lord, because I remember going to a certain meeting where I, a very, very famous uh, prophet had come to our nation. And he had manifested great works. And after that, as I was praying, I was like, Lord, why am I still feeling empty despite all these manifestations I'm feeling? And I spent time in life is a peak. It is possible that every day of your life is a score. It is possible that every day of your life, from the morning when you wake up to the night when you go to bed to sleep, it is possible to be in the peak of what God wants for you. And sometimes what the world calls the peak, God may not call a peak. Sometimes what the world calls, uh, calls uh, a score, the Lord in heaven may not be calling a score. Because one thing I began to ask the Lord, why is it that some people at their deathbed is when they meet Jesus? Why is it that some people, after 20 years of living in foolishness, it is when they find wisdom? Why is it that some people, and on the very last year of their life, is when they discover they have been wronging people and stepping on people's toes, and that is the, the year that they repent? So I said, Lord, help me to live within the mark, to live in that legacy, that every day of my life I am living like a hero. So I'm going to use a few examples. That's why I've titled them Three Marks of a Legacy. I'm going to use three examples. And when I'm done, I hope the Lord will bless us. Amen? Can I have today, instead of adults, can I have three children? Jemima has uh, those two boys. Just come. Three children. Three boys will be better. It's easy to demonstrate with boys. Just come. Let me use this one. You stand here. You stand in the middle. You stand at the end. Clap for them to cheer them up. I'm going to use three boys to illustrate three different situations. And I want you to open your heart to what the Lord is going to minister to us this morning. The first man I saw as I sought the Lord that day was a farmer. The second man I saw as I sought the Lord that day was a young ruler. The third man I saw as I sought the Lord that day was a scholar. So these were three different people, and each of us may fit in one of these categories. This farmer was a very diligent farmer, and for over 80 years, he did well in his farming. After 80 years of running up and down, he really scored well. So successful was he till because he was a foreigner in the land where he was, he was chased away because of jealousy. This man was so successful. And every day of his life, he pushed himself to the edge. One time he said to his son, uh, he, he said to his father-in-law, during the day the sun smote me, at night I had no sleep because I was so anxious to succeed. 
This man pushed himself so roughly until he made it. And I know some of you may not be farmers. Maybe you are a technician. Maybe you are a cook. Maybe you are a manager. And you are pushing yourself to the edge on a daily basis to be the best that you are meant to be. I have news for you. You can do better than that if you hear what the Lord wants to tell us this morning. Because this man now gets old and is about to die. And the Lord showed me a vision when this man was dying. He had trembling limbs and he sat on a couch. And for the first time in his life, he did what God had waited for him for 138 years to do. He worshipped God. He was no longer farming. He was no longer stretching himself in the night to succeed. He was no longer persevering in the sun. He simply worshipped God. Immediately he was done worshipping God. He didn't last a week. This man died. But he died a worshipper, not a farmer. This man, we see him in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. The Bible says, By faith, Jacob called Joseph's children, and he blessed them. And he leaned on his staff and worshipped God. After that session of prayer, there was no more Jacob. There was only a legacy of a worshipper. The first mark we see of a true legacy is worship. Worship that comes not once in a while when you are about to die. Worship that comes not when you have failed or succeeded, but worship that you do on every opportunity that you get. And you may ask, man of God, why is worship so critical? This is why worship is critical. After 400 years of this man dying, God shows up in Exodus chapter 3. And he tells Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people, whose people? Jacob's people, the one who worshipped, let my people go, that they may go and worship me. Worship was his last contract on earth, and worship was now the new contract on earth. Not farming. God did not tell them, let my people go that they may go and show the world how to farm. Though the patriarch of the family had been a farmer. God did not tell Moses, let my people go so that they may go to another nation like Syria and succeed till they are the envy. No. Simply let my people go that they may go and worship. This man died worshiping. How I pray despite the fact that we don't have old men in this house, how I pray that old men may worship. That the men may learn that when they worship, they open a gate that will last over 400 years. That when they worship, they open a gate that the Lord will use as an excuse to reach their descendants. That when they worship, when they concentrate on worship, a, a thousand years may pass, but heaven will come and say, Somebody worshipped in your lineage. We have unfinished business. One of the reasons that pushes me to ministry and especially to living for Jesus is to remember one day 
God will speak from heaven and say, there was a man named so-and-so. He touched my heart. I have not forgotten the place where I was touched. Do you know, Pastor, why we are so bold in expecting revival in our generation? Because in the 60s and in the 70s, our fathers carried revival. So we find it easy to embrace revival because somebody already plowed the ground. They were not as rich as we were. They they were not as informed as we are. They did not have computers and mobile phones, but at least they had revival, something we lack. And now as their children, we can stand and claim revival because when they had time, they spoke and they moved in the revival. The first mark of legacy is worship. You can sit. Just sit there. So this guy is a farmer, but he dies a what? A worshiper. The second mark we see is of a young prince. This man was what we call a a polymath. There is what we call a savant, then there is what we call a polymath. A savant is somebody who has one specialty, especially in science or mathematics. But this one was a polymath. Polymath means he was multidisciplinary. The man could pick fish and talk about fish. The man could pick uh, uh, plants and talk about plants, meaning he was a botanist. He could pick animals of every kind and speak of them, meaning he was a zoologist. He could pick uh, structures and not only talk about them, but design them. The man was a genius. The man was super smart. His day came with destiny. And when I saw him, what I saw was the most moving thing I've ever seen. Just stand up a bit. We demonstrate something. Just stand up there. The young king stood before his people. Today we'll call it on national television. Those days were not television. But he stood before his people as their ruler, as their chief thinker, as their chief architect, as their chief operator. And as he stood before them, He was obviously tempted to show them what he got. He was obviously tempted to, you know, give them a discourse. And indeed he did. The Bible tells me in 1 Kings chapter 8, and Solomon stood up and he began speaking. So initially he was just speaking. After a while, the Spirit of God came on him and he began praying. And the Bible says he lifted his hands. Lift your hands. He lifted his hands. Close your eyes, pretend you are praying. So he began to pray. Today, today, today. So he began to pray. And as Solomon is praying, it moved from prayer, because what the Lord showed me, the Spirit began to touch his mind and to squeeze it beyond just a thinker to a prayer warrior, to an intercessor. And as he moved from an intercessor, the thing went, not the thing, the spirit went to his heart and the, and the touch was so much, the man could not help it. And what did he do? Kneel down. He knelt down and he kept praying because the power was so much. Remember, he began by speaking, giving a speech as a thinker. He began by speaking. Afterward, the thing was so much, he found himself praying. Remember, he's not praying in his bedroom. He's praying before his subjects. 
He's praying before his constituents. He's praying before people who look up to him as a hero. He is praying. And as he prayed, he knelt down. And this is what the Lord showed me. The Lord came and sat at his knee and he whispered these words. I will never have such a high moment like this till this man goes home to heaven. This was the highest level of Solomon's regime. After this, Solomon was no more in legacy. When he's building the temple, when he's giving speeches and poetry, writing 3,000 proverbs, those moments were humanly great, but spiritually inferior. Because they were not going to save his children later on in, in Babylon. They were not going to save his children from slavery. They were not going to spare Daniel the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar. But this prayer, this moment of surrender was going to be remembered for 400 years to come. The Lord told me this is his highest moment. He will never have this again. And the problem with this moment, can I talk to you? The problem with this moment, the man was in a hurry to stand up. Because after what the Bible says, and he stood up, and, and, he, and now he began to bless the people, and he went on with his daily kingly duties. And that is what some of us are always known for. The spirit is moving, and you, are, you feel like kneeling, but because your suit is too tight than mine, you have to keep decorum. And for those of us who like to succumb like pastor, and you kneel, after a while, you're like, okay, the program is moving, so I have to stand. And you lose the moment that is so dear to God. God is not moved when you are giving a speech. He's not moved when you are writing speeches and giving proverbs. He is moved when you are in that moment of surrender. That moment when your knees are on the ground. Not because the program said, now let us kneel down. But because the thing moved from your head to your heart. Now to your loins, and you cannot help it but kneel down. Why was this moment crucial? I have hinted by saying, after 400 years, in Daniel chapter 1, in Daniel chapter 1, after 400 years, something happens. The sons of this man have gone to exile. They are in prison. They are refugees. And God shows up and says, not God. Nebuchadnezzar shows up and says, pick the children of the king's seed. Pick the king's seed. Men from the tribe of Judah. Pick them. Meaning, pick the children of this man and make them trainees who will now help to administer the kingdom. But they did not administer this kingdom by their intelligence. The Bible says in chapter 2, there was trouble. What was the trouble? The king has dreamt and there is no interpretation. How was the interpretation arrived at? Through prayer. Somebody say prayer. Now listen. When daddy prayed as a king, <laughs> it saved the slaves. It saved the refugees. When this man prayed, he did not know after 400 years, prayer is what will save his children. Prayer is what will save his, his seed in a foreign land. They did not read the speech of Solomon on the day Nebuchadnezzar said, whoever will not interpret this dream will die. There was no speech of Solomon. 
There was only the pattern Solomon had set. There was only the value system Solomon had set. Chapter 8 of Daniel, no, chapter 9 of Daniel. Daniel remembers that 70 years have passed since Jeremiah prophesied. And Daniel decides to pray. Not to give a speech, to pray. Remember, be, the same Solomon and the same Daniel had one thing in common. Do you know what was common about them? Wisdom. Daniel was wise, Solomon was wise. But wisdom, if it does not meet prayer, will not help you in the day of death. Wisdom cannot save you from death. A wise man who is not prayerful will lose his descendants. That is what I'm trying to tell you. The mark of legacy is not just in wisdom. It is in heartfelt value system of prayer. So this man prays and he did not know that history will depend on it. And you may be wondering, but man of God, I'm not Solomon, I'm not a ruler. I am just a leader in a group in my office. I am just a father, I'm just a mother. That already makes you a ruler. That already gives you constituents. I have a man who raised me as a teenager. He was an apostle. And he told me, my brother, do you know why I am in ministry? And none of my siblings are. I told him, speak on. I'm listening. He told me, we had such a harsh, tough father. And people feared him in the whole region of Taveta, where we grew up. But every evening, I could find that man on his knees with tears in his cheeks. And I said, whoever is making this man to shed tears, I must get to check who he is. And when I meet him, I also want him to give me those tears he's giving this tough man. And before he knows it, at the age of 10, he had a visitation from heaven. And the Lord told him in that visitation, at the age of 10, you will one day serve me as an apostle. And he had no idea what is an apostle. But the daddy's knees, daddy's tears, daddy's kneeling down triggered a visitation from heaven. Oh, that our rulers will pray that our rulers will pray. You know, we were speaking with the pastor the other day and we were praying, we are saying, the reason why the Western world, as much as they are perverse, they are still blessed. Their leaders once prayed and made covenants with God. They once knelt down in public. There were days when before the Congress of America could do any business, they had to publicly pray. Oh, that our leaders will pray. But not just our political leaders. The fathers is in this house, the mothers in this house, the leaders in offices in this house. You as a team of people you are leading, maybe you are a CEO or whatever they call you, beyond your speeches, beyond your motivation, pray. Tell your neighbor, pray. Sit down. Good boy. Third and last man of legacy. Move this side a bit. Third and last man, the scholar. Remember, Jacob is a farmer, but we don't remember him for farming. We remember him for worship. <laughs> Solomon is a polymath, he's a genius, he's a ruler. But what saved his generation was not his intelligence. It was his prayer. Finally, we have a scholar. And I identify with this one. 
If you want to tempt an alcoholic, take him to a party where there is alcohol. Right? If you want to tempt a dancer like myself, take him where there is music. I have a problem, my God, when I hear music, I just turn. I just go. And I have a sister who has that weakness. So this guy is a scholar. And he's given the temptation of every scholar. Do you know the temptation? He was taken before a stadium of thinkers and philosophers. And he was told, you have the microphone, speak. Oh boy, did he speak. He began by talking about political economy before moving to migrationology, how people immigrated around the world. Then he gave us political history. Then after that, he gave us theological philosophy and how people think the way they think and worship God the way they worship. And the speech was brilliant. In history, it has been called one of the most brilliant speeches. When it was done, something happened. He remembered, by the way, I'm born again. And I'm a preacher. Not just a preacher, I'm an apostle. Oh, and he remembered he had not mentioned the name Jesus. And honestly, he did not mention the name Jesus. He just said God, not Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible finishes by saying, when Paul had finished speaking to the Athenians, this was a group of philosophers and thinkers of his day, when Paul was done speaking in Marseille, Marseille was the place where the thinkers used to assemble just to think and do philosophy. When Paul was done with this speech, few men followed him. And there were two. Dynamas, the Aerophagite, and a woman named Damaris, and a few other people. Two main people are the only ones who followed Paul. Why? The scholar was busy schooling. Do you know, those days, if you really wanted to prove you are a scholar, in fact, not just those days, up to 19th century, you could not be called a scholar if you are not able to recite or write or even construct poetry. That day, Paul even gave a poetry. Go read your Bible. He quoted a, an, a, what we call a secular poet just to prove his scholarly prowess. When he was done with all that showmanship, few men followed him. The next chapter, which is chapter 18, Paul goes to Corinth. Immediately chapter 1 of chapter 18, verse 1, Paul goes to Corinth and he begins his labors there. How did he enter Corinth? We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And brethren, chapter 1, verse 4, chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, and brethren, when I came in among you, I did not come in eloquence of speech and in the wisdom of man. Because in Athens, he had eloquence of speech. In Athens, he had the wisdom of man. Now, when he comes among the Corinthians, what does he have? The Bible says, but I came to you in much meekness, in fear, and in trembling, so that your faith does not rest in the wisdom of men, but in God. And the Bible says in verse 2, and I purpose to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. Today, I was telling pastor, we have the book of Corinthians. We don't have the book of Athenians. 
because a scholar decided to do the third mark, which is called none but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Now, let me go back a bit. This man as children, we see them in slavery in Egypt. By the time Moses is chucking them out, there are about three million people. This man also as children, by the time uh, Nehemiah and Ezra are chucking them out, we see a huge group that could fill the whole city and the whole nation. So this man has children, and they are delivered because of worship. This man has children, they are delivered because of prayer. But this man, his children are still being counted. Some of you are sitting here right now. Because 90% of all preachers who are preaching this morning will quote Paul. The day you will decide no longer to be a farmer but to be a worshiper. The day you will decide no longer to be a ruler but a prayer warrior. That even in your rulership you pray. Even in your office you pray. And you are not ashamed to lift your hands to Jesus. You will save more than you think you are saving. The day like today you will decide that despite my scholarship, despite my youth, despite my excitement... I want to know nothing but Jesus crucified. My brother, my sister, you will have nailed it in your legacy. So Paul dies in prison, but what he stood for does not die. And I like what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. I press towards the mark of the call that is in Christ. That mark was Christ himself. And you know, Nowadays, there are preachers who can preach from the first sentence, they open their mouth to the last one, and they don't mention Jesus, because Jesus is just a by the way to them. Today, I remember there was a time a woman of God called me and prayed with me on the phone, and she talked of all these other superlatives when she was done praying. I told her, Mama, can you pray again? Only this time, can you mention Jesus? You are a minister. You are a woman of God. You are famous, but you don't mention Jesus in your prayers. My brother, my sister, when that happens, you have missed the mark. And soon when history goes down, you will not have disciples. Today, Paul has so many disciples influenced by his writings. Every wedding will quote Paul. Every funeral will quote Paul. Birthday parties will quote Paul. Every occasion will quote Paul. <laughs> Musicians will quote Paul. And everything about this man has stood the test of time because he moved from scholarship and he went to nothing but Jesus. So as I finish, easy someone, as I finish, I want to ask you, where are you putting Jesus? Where are you putting him? How much does he mean to you? Till you forget about the profile of the people you are meeting and all you remember is him and him crucified. How much does he mean to you? Till all that matters to you is to be remembered for him and nothing else. It is easy to be remembered for your writings. It is easy to be remembered for your thinking, it is easy to be remembered for your philosophy. But it is more legendary, it is more permanent to be remembered for nothing else but Jesus 
and him crucified. So Lord, we lift our hands this morning. And we ask that let every day of our lives carry meaning because of Jesus. Let every day of our lives carry meaning and depth because of Jesus. Let every day of our lives, Lord Jesus, carry you and you alone. Not our abilities or our profile, but you and you alone. Bring us back to yourself, Jesus. Bring us to your songs, dear Lord Jesus. Bring us to your prayers, dear Lord Jesus. Bring us to your worship, dear Lord Jesus. Bring us to your message, dear Lord Jesus. Bring us to an emphasis on you as a person, dear Lord Jesus. Make our young men, make our old men to focus on no one else but you, dear Lord Jesus. For Adams will be destroyed. Their tenants will be forgotten. But Jesus will never be forgotten. For Adams will be buried and, 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 and the city of the Greek will be abandoned. But Jesus and who he is will never be forgotten. For he's coming to give us a city whose maker and builder is God. Therefore we look to him and him alone. Therefore we call on him and him alone. And Lord we ask you this morning, pierce our hearts once again to go back to Jesus. Pierce our hearts that beyond our farming, beyond our rulership, beyond our scholarship, we may go back to Jesus. For everything will be forgotten. Only the word of God, who is Jesus, will never pass away. Have your way this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor. Oh, hallelujah.